You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, y'all. We've got some exciting news over here at MTL. We now have merch. Oh, man, Kara and I have worked so hard to design items that would be helpful in the juggle and struggle of the hashtag mom life, and we so hope you'll find something you love. Please check out our shop at mamas-talkin-loud-podcast.myshopify.com or if you need something easier, just go to our Instagram profile at Mamas Talkin' Loud and shop in our Insta store. We've got to-do lists, insulated mugs, fanny packs, and so much more. We would love it if you would find something that you will use in your day-to-day life and get joy from. Get them before they're gone. Have a good one. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Mamas Talkin' Loud. I'm Jessica Rush. Today's guest is the daughter of icon, legend, feminist, activist, and sex symbol, Eartha Kitt. She joins me for a special Santa Baby holiday episode. After meeting while I was on tour with her mother, Eartha, we reconnect here to discuss her best-selling memoir, Eartha and Kit, a daughter's love story in black and white. Kit shares the incredible bond she and her mother had, how important humanity and the betterment of it was to Eartha, several kidisms to take away in your own life, and how her connection with her mother influenced her own motherhood journey. Here is my conversation with Kit Shapiro. It's been a few decades. Hi. <laughs> I can't believe it's been decades, but yes. That's crazy. That's crazy. You guys, this is a super special episode for me. It's it's really exciting. I'm here. Well, first off, I should let you know, Kara's not here today because Kara has been taken down with the sickness, as is everyone right now, I feel like, and it's all over the place, running rampant. So it's just my, it's just me today. It's just myself. Um, but I am here with Kit Shapiro and I met Kit when I was 19 years old, when I was on the national tour of Cinderella with her mom, Eartha, who ended up being my fairy godmother in so many ways. Um, So this is a super special episode to get to have you on Kit and to speak about your memoir and your mom and share some memories. And so welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to see you. I, I mean, you just mentioned it's been decades, so it doesn't, in some ways, it just feels like it was, you know, just a few years ago. So uh, it's good to see you again. For sure. For sure. Well, we always start out every episode asking um, about our guest children, because it's not often that we talk about our own children within this sort of, you know, the entertainment industry at large and, and in life, moms sort of just keep moving ahead and moving forward. So will you tell us about your children before we jump in? So I have, um, four in total, two biological children and two stepchildren. And my son, um, Jason, is 
31 years old, which just is mind boggling in itself that I have a 31 year old. Uh, he is, uh, he, he lives in Los Angeles. He's in the, um, in the sports entertainment field. In fact, he just did a, a I'm a very proud mom because he just sold a, a company, a startup. Um, that's been, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty cool thing. He's followed his passion and um, sports has always been his passion and, and, and music. And so he's made it, he's made it a career, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, my daughter, Rachel uh, is following in her grandmother's footsteps. She is a singer songwriter. She too lives in Los Angeles. Um, I thought I made them much more dependent than they are, but um, they moved as far away from me as they possibly could. <laughs> um, and my stepdaughter lives with, with uh, her sister, with Rachel. Um, she is, um, in investment banking and is getting her um, master's in um, family um, therapy. And my stepson who lives back here, back East um, in New York uh, is a tennis instructor. So, uh, and oh, he's wow. also 31 years old. So we've got um, 31, two boys, 31 and um, a girl 30, 28 and my daughter who's 26. Wow. So it's been a full house. And during COVID, you know, they were all home. I mean, with, when we, you know, when everybody shut down, they all came back. Oh, how was that, Mama? <laughs> it was good. It was really, really good. I, it's so nice having everybody around. And it's, you know, especially since they, the three, three of them are living on the West Coast. It was really nice to have everybody, you know, in, our, in their childhood home. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, I bet. It's so... Wonderful. As you were talking about Jason and Rachel, I was thinking there's actually a picture on your Instagram from, I believe, Mother's Day this year, but uh, of them about the age, I think, when I met you guys or when I knew you or when I saw y'all in my world. And to right. think that now they're 30 and late 20. It's just it's just like, it's I know, right, because like they were on. They were always backstage, you know, on tour at Cinderella. They were, you know, um, my, in fact, my mother's assistant, Jackie Harris, I remember Jackie um, would always take, you know, Jason and Rachel around and they would be um, during the last scene where um, I don't remember what she, the, she does. There's a quick change. I can't remember what it was. Mm -hmm. And I remember Rachel always being, you know, tucked in the corner with Jackie and helping. It was, it's, you know, they grew up, they, they grew up backstage. It was fun. Amazing. It's amazing. Well, let's, let's get started on talking about why you're here, which is to talk about your incredible mother, um, but you wrote a memoir this year and it was released um, this past Mother's Day, correct? It's called Eartha and Kit, A Daughter's Love Story in Black and White. And yes. I, I haven't been able to read the whole thing, but I started reading it after it was sent to me when we knew we were going to be talking. And, um, and I was moved to tears in the first chapter. I just, it's such a beautiful it truly is a love letter to your mother, I feel like, and to the relationship that the two of you had. It, um, for anyone who, I don't know if you're living under a rock or maybe you're a millennial <laughs> and, you're, and you're just discovering Eartha Kitt. But um, a, a big reason why Kitt is here at this time of year is that one of the things your mother was known for was Santa Baby, of course, which right. who doesn't know the song Santa Baby? Um, we hear it constantly at the holidays. I also, though, something we didn't talk about um, and before you arrived was we are coming up on the anniversary of your mother's death on yes. Christmas. Right. Which is My mother died on Christmas day, which, you know, the irony of that is not lost on me or anyone who knew her because no, no. it's, uh, she, so it's like, she, you know, she, she wanted to make sure that she, people remembered that she was the one who originated the song Santa baby. It was written for her in 1953. And I just, um, you know, I talk about it in the book that 
it, you know, I mean, it, it, it was it, obviously it was very it was heartbreaking and sad that she died that day. But there was a there was a comical, you know, sort of this this moment of, of, of when I looked at my husband and I, and I was like, well, you knew that was going to happen. I, I mean, mean, talk about timing. <laughs> I remember that. Yes. I remember um, a mutual friend, Kevin Duda. He called me because mm -hmm. he had been close with Eartha towards the end yeah. as well. And he, my phone rang on Christmas day. And I remember when I saw his name, I thought that I knew what it was. I just, I just knew it. Mm. And, and then I thought, how wild, how, of mm. course, of course, someone who has known, yeah. you know, so many people know her because of Santa baby. And we hear her voice every holiday season. Yes. What, what timing, how incredible, yeah. you know, and I feel like, and she was always laughing. Like, that's what I think about with your mother. She was always laughing and love to joke around and, and mess around yeah. and tease and all the things. Yes. I just felt like it was a giant. It was um, the ultimate. Exactly. <laughs> she was like, you're never going to forget me now. You know what right. I mean? Like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's just exactly what I thought, you know, I was with her as, as she died or transitioned, however you want to look at that moment. And I remember thinking that same thing, that same exact thing. It's like, wow, you are talking, you made sure that you left this planet, you know, with a huge statement. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Of course, nothing less. Nothing um, tell less. Us, so tell us in there, um, in, I read that you, that Eartha requested for you to write this memoir. Um, and will you sort of take us on the journey? I can't imagine. I mean, it's been now almost 13 years since she did transition and um, how was it easy for you to write this story? Was it easy for you to put this down to paper to relive those memories? I mean, you and your mother were incredibly close as you speak about in the book. Right. And you knew, and you, you witnessed that and, and people who knew her or, or who, who heard, and ever heard her talk knew, um, how she felt about me, um, which of course I was incredibly blessed to have had a mother who, who, who was so incredibly devoted and loved me so much. Um, she did want me to write a book. I think, you know, she wanted me to write a book years before she passed even. Um, she felt that she, she actually said to me the, the last few months of her life, you know, don't let who I am die with me. You know, my work, my, my recordings, my, my movies, you know, all of that, Will, will live on in perpetuity. But who I was as a person um, is for you to, to carry on that legacy and to sort of, to take what, you know, the teachings and, and, and the love and, and the devotion that I gave you and share that with the world. And I, and so, you know, that's really why I, this book is so important. And it really is, it's really a tribute uh, and a love story because she was such an incredible human being and, and she was an incredible uh, teacher and parent. And, and all of that was, it was really instinctive because she was an orphan. So she didn't have, uh, you know, any role models, so to speak. Um, and so I think it's a really when you, I'm so glad that you you were touched by what you read because that was my purpose in 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 writing this. Um, my mother happened to be famous, you know, but but we all sort of have we all have a legacy of some type. We all have somebody in our lives whose you know whose paths we've crossed that have had an impact on us. And and so these stories to tell on on the importance of these lessons that's this these people in our lives teach us and pass along to us, I think are really, really important to, for others to, to know and to share. That's absolutely, I agree. And she was so wise. I mean, this is something mm. that, and that comes through when you've, when you knew her and, um, 
and to be around her. And she did love you so much. I mean, y'all were around constantly, you know, and you talk about this in the book that from the minute you could travel, she was taking you with her. And there's a Mm -hmm. photo that I saw um, in my research this morning of her holding you when you're a baby at an airport, it looks like. And maybe you're like on a like on the sidewalk outside of an airport and the joy on her face. And I could just imagine you guys like, here we go on an adventure. You know, it was clear that she adored having you with her and being able to show you yeah. the world and cultures. Yeah, she would say, I put my baby on one hip and the diaper bag on the other and off we would go. And in her, that to her, that was really all she needed. It's true. She, she, she made it very all I need is my child with me. And her world was complete. And, you know, she used to introduce us at times, you would say, I'm Eartha, and this is Kit, as if I completed her somehow. And I think in many ways, I really did. I gave her this foundation, this family that she never had as an orphan. And I gave her, you know, a connection to and her ability to teach and to love and to show and she was incredibly affectionate. Um, you know, it wasn't just about um, teaching and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, exposing me to, to the world. She really showed me how she loved, you know, how much she loved me. And she would say, you can never love a child too much. Mm. Um, and, and she's right. And that's all we all want, right? We all just want to be accepted and to be loved. And she gave me that. And, and I was truly blessed. And as I say to, to people, you know, blessings are meant to be shared. And, and that is why I share them. Oh my gosh. Well, I think it, it's, it's lovely. And thank you for sharing them because no one knows no one knew her the way you did. And as is so true with all of our parents and our family, there is an intimacy there with your family that can't be replicated by anyone else in their lives. Um, Because she did love you so much and because she was so devoted to you and attached in so many ways, there's a weight that comes with that, right? Of being sort of the everything to your mother or to your parent. And Can you talk to us a little bit about how that perhaps has influenced your own motherhood journey or what that meant to you and how you process that or, or what the good and the bad, what you took from it to, to inform your own journey as a mom? Yes. I mean, I talk about that, you know, and as I, as I talk about the relationship, it sounds like it was just, you know, Nirvana and and pristine. It wasn't, I mean, we were mother daughter. I mean, I rolled my eyes at, you know, at her, just like my teenage kids rolled their eyes at me. I mean, there, and there were many times, you know, when we would drive down the road and she'd be driving and she'd be talking and I would just wish that her door would open and she'd roll out into traffic. I mean, you know, I was a typical teenager and a typical daughter and, and, and it just, but that being said, um, you know, the, 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 the lessons and, and I, and the blessings that I, that I have, I was able to understand in early age. And that is, you know, I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. Um, you know, it's interesting that you, you talk about it's a, it's weighty. I mean, yeah, I carry her name, right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and being loved that much and being so important to a parent um, is not easy. It certainly wasn't easy as a teenager and it certainly wasn't easy as a young adult. Um, I felt, it's not that I felt smothered. It's just, I felt incredible guilt at times um, because, you know, I'd want to hang out with my friends, you know, as teenagers do, or I'd want to have my own life or, or get married, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. My parents divorced when I was very young. 
Um, and I really, even when they were married, I mean, it really was, you know, it was just my mother and I, you know, uh, as you mentioned, I traveled with her, which was wonderful. I was exposed to incredible experiences in my life. Um, but the times when I wanted to, to not travel uh, came, you know, was not an easy thing to say to her, you know, I don't really want to go to wherever, blah, blah, blah. Um, I want to stay home. Uh, and that was so, so hard. So, you know, I think that there's a sense of responsibility, especially when you're a daughter. I think mothers and daughters have a very unique relationship. Um, I felt, you know, I needed to take care of my mother in many ways. You know, there's a, a role reversal that happens, I often think, with mothers and daughters. Um, at some time, you know, where you become the mother and the, the mother is, you know, you, you're sort of saying I, that doesn't make any sense and it shouldn't be like that. And, you know, and, and your mother's, got, you know, becoming the teenager. I don't know. But yeah, yeah so, you yeah, know, there were moments in, in our lives when, when we had struggles, but that, but luckily, <laughs> luckily, we, uh, we had that foundation of, of incredible love. And I think that really does uh, make, you know, you were able to get past anything with that. For sure. For sure. And your mother definitely had a lot of love. It was, you know, I, I think often of her, um, she actually does come up in my, in my thoughts and memories more often than probably anyone would think, but cause she had such an impact on my life. She, mm. I say she was my fairy godmother and in a lot of ways she was, but when I started my journey, that was my first big job, my first show. And I was the understudy and and as people in our business know, you know, there's, they say there's no first and second cover, but there is, and they know who they're going to put on first. And for a long time, I was not it. And they wouldn't put me on and they wouldn't put me on. And then one day, Eartha said to them, well, why don't you put on Jessica? What is happening? You know, she, she and I had connected, but she hadn't seen me do anything. She didn't know, you know, if I could follow through or not, but something gave her the faith and the trust. And once she pointed that out, they did put me on. And then ultimately I took over the role and, and bonded with her on stage and off stage and her support meant everything. And that was something that I treasure truly because she was the love that she had for her company and for ourselves and for the art that she was, um, that she was creating and also for like her fans. You know, I can remember, mm -hmm. I will never forget that Eartha would stand outside in the snow in the rain, she would be out there signing all the autographs, you know, and, yeah. and this was when she was what, like 76 or something. She was, yeah. yeah, she wasn't a spring chicken, you know, and she would stand outside autographing and people would say, I can't believe you stand there and do that. And she said, you know, she would say, these are the people I'm nothing without, without the fans. Mm -hmm. They are the reason I'm where I am. You know, and, and she so truly, she, she truly, truly believed and felt that. Um, and it's, it's interesting. Cause I look at the things that, her, the belongings that she left behind, right? And, um, so much of what she kept were were items that her fans had given her. Mm -hmm. And she could remember, you know, this such and such, this was, you know, in Sweden in such, you know, 1969 and so-and-so gave it to me and this is why. And and if somebody went out of their way to, to give something to her, even if it was just a, a thank you, 
um, to her, that was, you know, just touched her heart and it, it meant so, so much. Um, she was devoted, to, as you said, she was, she was always devoted to members of her the company because it was a big family, right? A, a, I mean, uh, an entertainment, any, any entertainment entity that works together for long periods of time, um, or any, it doesn't even be entertainment, but, you know, becomes, especially when you travel together and buses and, you know, trains and airplanes and weird hotels and I will weird never, situations. I will never forget. We were traveling on Christmas day and I was in the airport on a payphone because this was the year 2001 or 2000. It was the first Christmas. So it was 2000. And, um, I was on a payphone against the wall talking to my parents. First Christmas, I wasn't with them. And here she comes to get on the plane and she just walked right over to me, grabbed the phone out of my hand and leaned down and said, Merry Christmas. And then she growled. I can't, I'm not even going to try because I can never, <laughs> no one can replicate that. But like, and my father, and then just handed the phone back to me and my father on the other end about died. You know what I mean? Like, these <laughs> That's hysterical. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So funny to think of her, you know, because here we are just in this airport doing the thing and she's Eartha Kitt. I mean, she was, she's an icon and you, you know, you, you say this, I see on your Instagram, daughter of an icon. And that is who she was to everyone else, but she was mom to you, you know? And I yeah. think that there's so much, like you were saying how, how much she treasured things that fans gave her and the like, I think that you mentioned that she did grow up in poverty. She grew up an orphan mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. South and she had very little and was abandoned by her mother yeah. and did not know who her father was. And that was something she still talked about that, that informed so much of her, who she was. And she owned that, right? She didn't want to let go of that, which there were times in our lives when I would say to her, why, why are you holding on to that? Like, let it go. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she would be like, why would I let it go? It's who I am. It's who it's part of what made me become the person I am today. So even those difficult times, and, and you, you touched on it, and, and I talk about in the book, and they were more than just difficult. I mean, they were some brutal, horrifying things that happened to her. Um, she grew up in, she was born in South Carolina in a, in a little town called North South Carolina. Um, there was some real brutality down there um, towards her, uh, but but it was it really, you know, where the one thing she would say is I've taken all of the manure that's been thrown on me my entire life and used it as fertilizer. And she did. She she held she held on to everything. She, she she loved the fact that she was this cotton picker from the South that she would always say. And she said that to literally the day she died uh, with a sense of pride. You know, it's it's what who she was and and gave her the backbone. <laughs> Yeah, you know, she needed to survive the world that she, you know, was thrusted into. It's true. And and she was Cherokee, right? Part Cherokee mm -hmm. um, yep. as well. She talked about that. She, yeah. she I also have Cherokee in my lineage um, farther back. And she loved that. When she found that out, that was like a massive a massive thing for us, you know, because she initially, mm -hmm. when I first met her, you know, she talked about how she said, you have the similar coloring of my daughter. Like she, she had, yes. you know, she said, I look at you, you have very similar coloring, you know, what is your lineage? What is your background? And for at that time, all I knew about was a little Cherokee and, and not much else rather than, you know, Welsh and French. And um, she said, it's the, it's the Cherokee. That's our people. You know, she, just, she would say, 
and she called me up. But it was just, it was crazy that it was lovely and wonderful, the connections that she would have. And in this book, you talk about, let's go, let's talk about some of that. It, how she was viewed in the world. She was viewed mm -hmm. as a black woman, right? Even right. though she was mixed race. And here you are, you're blonde, you're light-skinned mm -hmm. because your father is German, right? Or Irish. German, Irish, Irish yeah. Mm -hmm. As white as they get, yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And for the two of you to travel at a time, you talk about going to South Africa during mm -hmm. apartheid and during a time where um, the freedoms weren't there that they were in America. You specifically, one of right. the stories about going to the amusement park with your mother and being kicked out because they said she wasn't allowed to be there. And and how she reacted to that, which was not right. with anger and malice, right? She just picked her head up, walked out. And then, you know, that because I think that's who she was. It is. I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, we, you know, we're living here in, in 2021. And I have people um, now with social media um, who are able to what do we call them trolls to be right. you know troll like and make make comments behind you know a screen and a, and a username and there are people who say to me you can't possibly be her biological child there's no way that she gave birth to you she clearly lied to you you were obviously adopted um and i want to laugh because a if you if you've seen my mother and i we actually do look alike mm. yeah i have a lot of my mother's features but people don't want to see past you know blonde hair and, and light skin and light eyes um and then my second my second response to them is you know on what planet do you think you know a black woman could have adopted a white baby in 1961 i mean you know let's be real or even today for that matter so you know you look at there even there even today the differences and that's kind of why i i, I titled the book a love story in black and white because um there is this color difference this you know the, of our of our skin and my mother's experience in the world is very different than my experience in the world because we look so different now that being said by the time i was born my mother was already very famous so um people are more impressed with fame than they are worried about right. <laughs> race in the moment you know I, I always try to say to people if if beyonce walked into a room or lebron james walked into a room you know with a bunch of racists they would be like oh my god it's beyonce or lebron james they wouldn't think about there's a black person in the room so that <laughs> there's a piece sure. that people overcome for fame but my mother wasn't always famous and not everybody always recognizes you. And so her treatment in life was very different, especially uh, coming into you know, the entertainment world in the 19, you know, late 40s, 50s and 60s as a beautiful um, woman of color. Mm -hmm. um, so but but the way she handled the, you know, those situations was my mother felt you could have much more impact um, by by sort of taking a beat. And, and, and staying, you know, before you react, instead of, you know, screaming and yelling, don't you know who I am? And, and you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Eartha Kid and whatever, 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 that, you know, she would always look at me and she would say, uh, 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 you know, don't panic. Everything happens for a reason. God may not be there when you want him, but he's always on time. And the situation you referred to in South Africa, uh, where we were, were thrown out of an amusement park that I had been going to, because my coloring, nobody with my tutor, nobody had questioned my my you know ability to, um, ability to be there. Um, when my mother came one day with me because I'd been begging her to go to this amusement park with me, um, the gentleman who worked there obviously didn't know who she was and didn't really care. <laughs> uh, it was you know she was a person of color and it was a whites only 
park. So he asked her to leave and she, uh, she obliged and stood up and walked out. And I'm saying to her, tell him who you are, you know, tell him you're, you're allowed to be here. You're a VIP in this country. Uh, and she knew somehow on some, some level that she could have a, a more impactful, you know, make a more more of an impact by by taking a beat and not saying anything in the moment. And that actually happened a few days later when she was being photographed in front of this amusement park by the press, and she made a, a little comment saying, "Oh, it's so funny! I was thrown out of that amusement park the other day." And of course, the press was like, "What do you mean you were thrown out of the amusement park?" Blah, blah, blah. And they contacted the owner, and and he was you know so apologetic and embarrassed, and he said, "You know, oh, Miss Kit, the he the, the gentleman who worked there, he didn't know who you were, and I'm so sorry. What can we do?" And she said, "Well, you know, we're we're raising money to you know for to build schools for um you know African children, so a donation to this um." charity would be wonderful and my daughter would love to come back to the amusement park and bring some friends and he said of course anything you want and so he sent a check for you know donation and he sent tickets so we could go back to the amusement park and when we did my mother brought you know two children who were African children to colored children to white children and that was photographed uh, mm -hmm. by the press so, and and that photograph you know, has such an impact given the times of, you know, apartheid and, and that moment in time. Did it affect that much change? You know, the laws didn't change and, and many people's opinions probably didn't change, but she had that, she knew that, that, that somehow that trickle effect, it could affect somebody different. Maybe one of those children were affected differently. The owner was affected, you know, so she understood that we're all teachers, uh, no matter how small the, it may be, no matter how tiny um that if we all do one little thing that's positive um at, over time you know the ripple effect will, will affect change that's true i mean it's absolutely true it's what we try to i try to teach elliot my daughter and you know we i always say stand up and speak out if no one's saying anything if no one is making a statement th there won't be change we can't work mm -hmm. towards change if we don't point out what needs to be adjusted and fixed and made right and so much of who your mother was um, was that passionate activist that was a huge part of her life and I mean people you know if you don't know about Eartha obviously her standing up against and speaking out against the Vietnam War created quite uh well she was she was kicked out of, she always said she was kicked out of the country you know once she stood up and spoke out at the White House to Lady Bird Johnson about the Vietnam War and her thoughts on it and I think that what I take from her is just how passionate she was about the human experience, about humanity and about mm -hmm. right and wrong. Because yes, she was this icon and she was this sex symbol and she was all these things, but her core and her root was very fair, was um, very uh, loving. And I feel like she approached the world in that in that mindset, as opposed to, I have to prove this. I have to, she never did. She didn't prove anything. No, no. And oh, sorry about the phone. But um, the, the, what's interesting is that um, when, you know, and I, again, I titled the book, uh, A Love Story in Black and White, um, because there is this sort of simplistic view my mother had about humanity. And there is a right way, you know, it's very simple. There's a right way and a wrong way to treat people. You treat people with respect, period. 
no matter what they look like, no matter you know who they are, um, no matter what level of success that they have attained or not attained, whatever their job may be. Um, my mother felt that to treat people differently because of the color of their skin was a preposterous, you know, ideal that we had that we had taken on uh, in our society, um, and that to her was the real part. That, that humans need to be able to get past that. We have the ability to be kind to each other, right? As animals, we can be kind. We can choose uh, how we treat each other. And to her, that was of the utmost, um, talk about manners, and she believed in proper manners, but that was to her the most important thing, that you need to be uh, treat each other kindly don't have this whole like you know we need to love each other and Allah you know kumbaya she said you have to love each other you just have to respect that we all have a right to be here Mm -hmm. and period the end right (laughs) that's it (laughs) (laughs) it's very simple Um, and to that she would stand up for the underdog no matter who it was no matter what their you know their, their difficulties were she always believed and she always also believed that um, if somebody asked you your opinion, then they actually wanted to hear it, which is often not the case. They often ask you, I have you know, a story how are you? for and not <laughs> on the podcast that I can share with you. <laughs> so, yeah, really so, you know, yes, she would really let you know her opinion. And she, you know, she was in a, in a she was lucky that she had established, you know, become successful enough where people listened to her um and but she also felt you didn't have to be famous like you said to 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 be you know to to make a difference in your own world or to the person sitting next to you or the person you might encounter a smile a thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> you know exactly. holding the door very very simple um moves that can that can affect somebody the change in somebody else's day Yes, absolutely. It's um, the manners when you were talking just now about how she was a believer in manners and um, punctuality. I was thinking back to uh, she would sit in her dressing room needle pointing, which that's something you talk about in the book as well. She was a big needle Mm -hmm. pointer crocheting, if I recall, like there was like at one point, I swear to God, they were voodoo dolls kit just like lined up along her couch. Yeah. (laughs) Just like all along her couch in her dressing room. Um, But she would sit backstage and she would have the radio on listening to politics. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, she would be listening to the show. You would think she wasn't paying attention to either one because she's needle pointing or she's working on something. She didn't miss anything. You could not get anything past that woman. And if somebody was messing around on stage, you better believe she was going to tell you, you got to stop that once she saw you next because she would hear it. Yeah. She heard everything. And the respect, though, that she came into the room with, with regard to our jobs and with each other, that filtered down. You know, I think it's, it, there's something mm-hmm. that's sort of being lost nowadays. People are so casual. People are so selfish in a lot of ways. They think about themselves, even in the environment of theater, and we're all supposed to be a team. Some of that's being lost. And I think about Eartha, yes. or when I did Gypsy with Patti Lapone. like there are people who set a standard and a bar with regard to the work we're doing and they expect everyone to come up to it and because of the bar they set people do rise and your mother was one of those as a human and as an actor she set a bar and an expectation and you wanted to rise to her expectations 
It's so true. It's so true. She, again, that comes back down to respect, right? I mean, respect for each other, respect for the director, respect for um, the elders in the company, respect for the fact that we've all got a, a job to do and that we should be punctual. Punctuality was oh. something that was really important to her. Yes. <laughs> um, and to and to know, you know, your role and your lines and and do have done your homework. Um, you know, she was really, she had very little patience for those people who showed that they didn't really care. Mm -hmm. Um, because to her, that was a slap in the face to, to who she was, as well as it's not just because, you know, I'm, oh, I'm Eartha Kitt. It's because who she was is how many years she's been, you know, she was the elder, usually in a cast, but it was also a slap in the face to the directors and the writers and, and everyone else who showed up on time or, and who knew their, who, who knew their lines and who knew the, what they were supposed to do. So she, my mother was a stickler for, um, for manners, um, not because she felt, not because of their frivol they're frivolous in any way, but because they're a form of respect and treating each other with kindness. Absolutely. She, um, I think about these, you call them kit-isms. And I do believe, I mean, you've already dropped a few of them here while we've been talking. And I, did, I should have like a dinging bell and be like, another kitism, another kitism. But um, like what about you can never love a child enough or God shows up, you know, on time, I'm paraphrasing you there, or her don't panic, right? Don't yep. panic mm -hmm. was, I would think a number one for her. And I've seen that um, for anyone who isn't aware that Kit also, not only she owns a store, she is a local small business owner, woman, female owned business. We're here for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, in yeah, Westport, yeah. Connecticut. It's called West, correct? Yes. On Instagram. Thank you. Yes. And then she also though, years ago, you've been, ha you've had this now for a while, Simply Eartha. That's on yeah. Instagram as well. And that's jewelry, yeah. right? That's that access yeah, it's accessories that say something. And they're my mother's words. And um, and I and I use them in, in different areas, you know, between pillows and some jewelry and some t-shirts and things. And it is really about um, a conversation because my mother was very much about the art of conversation and really conversing with each other, um, not just, you know, giving, you know, but you know, just, just sort of fluffing people off or telling them what they want to hear. She really wanted to know what you had to say and how you felt and, and, and wanted to get into a deep conversation about it. So I love that her, her kidisms as we, as she coined them, they were coined. I mean, I, I know as far as um, the company of Cinderella, I believe it was either Kevin Duda or somebody else that had done, made a list of them. Yes. <laughs> and on I think sent them around yes. to people. <laughs> so people had them on, on a t-shirt. Yes, yep. that's right. I remember that. Um, and and because you know whether she had whether she made them up herself or she once she said them they were hers, and you know and she felt that you know these were things that got people thinking and got people talking and that to her was a great way to to get to know each other and to learn about each other. Absolutely, I love don't panic. I mean, I think nowadays particularly, that's one that's sort of a mantra for a lot yeah. of people. Oh my goodness, don't panic. Um, something I want to touch on before we start to close a little bit though, is we sort of said it earlier, is how silly and how joyous and joyful your mother was. And that is something that I think about constantly. She also kept herself in incredible shape. I will never forget her mm -hmm. warm up, which is, it literally was like, Ma! I mean, literally the sound <laughs> was incredible, but also physically she would yeah. squat down and up to the ground. She jumped. I mean, this woman was in her mid seventies and more, you know, live and, um, 
and uh, able to do more than a lot of us can do at, you know, 35 or 40. And it was always with a laugh. Like she, mm -hmm. I just remember so much laughter and so much love from her. And, and I just, I don't, I don't have much more to say about it than that. It just was, when I think of her, I think about joy and I think about support and I think about love. And I, I remember I was doing, I was doing Mamma Mia on tour. I had, it was my second job after Cinderella and I was in the ensemble and I was understudying the lead. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't have any lines. I was in the ensemble dancing and Kevin called me and he said, Eartha wants to come see you. And I said, no, no, Kevin. I was like, I'm, I'm in the ensemble. And he's like, she wants to drive to Boston. I'm going to bring her to Boston. We're going to come see you. And I, and, and so it was only like my first week in the show and somebody, you could see her on the screen, like where they were sitting and people were like, Eartha Kitt is here. Eartha Kitt is here. <laughs> and, and people, someone said, yeah, she's here to see Jessica. And they were like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you doing? But it meant so much. You know, she drove up with Kevin to Boston. Yeah. To see me in the ensemble, you know, it, the love and devotion she had to the people that she chose. And you obviously got it's, all of that, but it was super I special. did, but, but I think it also shows that she had respect for, it doesn't matter what role you're playing in a company. To her, everybody has, it's, you know, we're all little, you know, it's all part of the, um, what's the, what's the, the game that everybody, where you stack the, the oh, blocks oh, on top yeah, of like, each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, it's all Tetris, right. So it's, it's, that's how important everybody is that even if it's a, a non-speaking role that it's still it, it's there for a reason right it's there for a reason and that because of that it has um you know integrity and importance and and i think it just shows that you know how she felt about just everybody on you know on the planet and that she'd hope that we would treat each other that way that we all have um you know there's a, a quick story that before we close when i was a little girl and we were in the garden and there was a slug you know crawling along on the ground and slugs are really not the most attractive little creatures and i would say to her you know oh mommy that's so gross you've got to kill it and she looked at me, she said, you don't have any right to kill it. You don't have to like the way it looks, but it has every, it has a right to be here, just like you have a right to be here. So why would you think that you can get rid of something just because it doesn't look as appealing to you as something else that, you know, and I remember thinking as I got older, like, what, what does that say to a child? You know, how does that, what's that impression you giving this child about how important it is to accept everything and every being that's you know that's on this planet and she did have joy for it all and she taught me that you know humor is the most is, is the most incredible blessing that we have you know uh, as human beings we are we can have humor we can find humor hopefully we can find humor in in moments when we don't feel that there's anything to laugh about or any you know all we want to do is cry um and she brought that she you know i remember the day she died, you know, even being able to laugh with her, um, because that's to her was was such a gift, and and she did bring that. And people who were around her always knew that she was laughing and finding a smile. She said, "If you wake up and you're breathing, you're <laughs> winning. That's something to be, <laughs> you're winning. It's something to be happy about. You know, that's that's just just be joyful about that." Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I love it. I. I can't wait to go back and read more. Cause like I said, I started and I'm a couple chapters in, but I can't wait to go back and read more. And 
Kit, thank, thank you. you for joining us today. And thank you for sharing. It was so, it's so nice to reconnect with you. First off, I have to come to Westport and see your shop, but um, thank you for sharing your mom with us and coming on and talking a little bit about how she influenced who you are and the incredible woman you clearly are and the children you've raised and the businesses you run. And uh, thank yeah. you. Thank you for, for giving me these moments to share the, the times when my mother touched your life, my life and, and, uh, and be able to smile and, and, and share that love that she brought to all of us. For sure, for sure. Have a great holiday. Thank you, same to you. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye, bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. Special shout outs to Justin Squiggs Robertson for our fabulous new graphic, Kristen Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Wardweber for our awesome theme song, and of course, the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.